Here we go. Come on. Go ahead and sit down. Sit down. They gave me the extra large podium again. I'm super excited about it. There's so many tall people here, too. Like, South Africans can be really tall. So, like, this is a statement piece. Um, I'm just kidding. I love it. I'm kidding. This is such an amazing uh, host church that's here, and I'm so grateful for them and the team that I've met from here. So I'm only picking fun at you because you're amazing and you know it. So I can, I can do that. Well, uh, how many of you enjoyed the conference so far? It hasn't been awesome. It's just been, there's been so many dynamics in it that are just so needed right now. And I love it. I've been meeting people behind the scenes and falling in love with people from your nation here in South Africa. And it's just such a unique nation. And I know there's many nations represented here, but I'm just speaking over South Africa. It's such a unique nation for such a time as this, which I'm excited about. I'm going to do a, kind of a message because I want to reground your faith for the prophetic and help you to come out of any wrong branding that it came into your life, or maybe it's new to you. Uh, just these gifts of the Holy Spirit that we call the prophetic which would be discernment and, and words of prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and then just the Spirit of God, who is also called the Spirit of Revelation, who, who brings things to light in our spirits that, that, I mean, just change everything. When you have prophecy on the table, it can give you options that didn't exist. When you have prophecy on the table, what happens in 25 years in counseling can happen in a moment. When you have the prophetic, what would take you know, years for a system to change, can happen instantaneously. I love it. It's always a third option that was never there in the first place. We have one or two options that we deal with or three or four options and prophecy comes and you go, how did we not think of this in the first place? Because thank God we're not that smart, but God is. You know, he, he knows. And so I love when we have this in our churches and our cities and our, our areas of influence because it, it just changes everything. And so I'm gonna entice you towards that and help bring you on the journey. I also just want to mention that um, we have a, a book table with all kinds of materials, and most of our materials online are free. So we also have tons of videos, and of course, the podcast I mentioned earlier. We do a daily video, if you follow us on Facebook, every day where we either model, one of our, me or one of my team will model the prophetic, just so you can have like points of interest to help you go, oh, that's how it works for me as well. We also have teaching moments, and then we have on our YouTube channel, we have a brand new show that just started a few months ago called your prophetic journey, uh, which so some of you are like it. That's good with shambles, and uh, it's also a. Uh, uh, can you guess how many toys I can fit on one shelf? So I'm a popular culture toy collector, which has served me well in the Christian community. Just kidding. Uh, so many people are like, "Is that the State Puff Marshmallow Man you have on your shelf? Don't, isn't that from Ghostbusters? Is that not evil?" So I get a lot of really fun comments on our YouTube channel. Actually, most of them are really positive, but we get, you know, if, if there is any kind of religious thing, it comes up. It's a lot of fun. But uh, I work in the entertainment industry. I worked in the video game industry for about nine years. And at the same time, I was doing ministry. And then I worked in that. Now I work in the film industry, and I, I'm a film consultant. And I work with entertainment industry individuals and help them navigate their careers and do coaching sessions and that kind of thing. And it's just one of my favorite occupations to do. And I've only been in the entertainment industry because of the prophetic all of my opportunities have come because God's bigger than my skill or talent or ability to connect or network. God is just so good. And so it's just an incredible industry to work in if you're called to it. If you're not, it's terrible. Um, so don't try it. But if you're called to it, it's an incredible industry. And the Holy Spirit is so good to, um, to be bringing up. I believe the next great move of God worldwide, we're going to be forerun by Christians who are in the entertainment industry or people getting saved in the entertainment industry who are going to be a mouthpiece for God to attract the masses. And I think that, you know, the last couple of moves of God, they were mostly um, led by the, the Pied Piper, so to speak, the people who were the musicians. And I think the next great move of God, we're going to have very high-level Christians who are going to be involved with projects that turn the nations to see a different glimpse of who God is and rebrands what Christianity looks like because of the power of story, because of the power of of, of a writer who takes something that's so precious and displays in a way that all of humanity can relate to it, not just a segment of humanity. And we've seen that a couple times happen through movies in a limited way through some TV series, but I believe it's going to become very normal to see projects that are become water cooler discussion at work that were made by Christians and show off the justice heart of God and show off the sides of God that he's wanted to be seen the whole time. He's the, the one who created the, the, these industries. He's the author of creativity. It's one of his first identities he revealed. And so I say that because um, if you follow us on our journey, we, I also have a TV show called um, 
and it's going to turn into a podcast more than a TV show, but it's on CBN News Network. It's called Exploring the Industry. So if you subscribe to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast, you'll get this podcast as well on a different day. And uh, I just take entertainers. One of them, actually, Stephanie Linus. Anybody know Stephanie Linus from Africa? She's uh, the continent of Africa's most prolific worked actress. And she actually is a radical Christian who only is in her industry because God healed her or else she would have been handicapped for the rest of her life. And she was on my one of my most recent episodes and she's just phenomenal. But we have all these actors and entertainers who are sharing their faith and how their, their relationship with God has impacted their career choices. And a lot of times, especially on our CBN network that I'm part of the family of, we're really good at 700 Club, you know, sharing the gospel salvation stories, but then what happens next? And we need to have more demonstrations of what mature Christianity looks like because little kids, when they, they look at life, they don't look at each other and go, I want to be like you. They look at their big brothers and go, I want to drive a car. They look at their, their astronauts and they look at, you know, the presidents and they say, I want to be like that. They don't look at each other. And right now we have the church is looking at a very low level because we're not expressing the deeper things. And I know that the Barna Group, who puts out church statistics every year, back in 2012, they put out a statistic that the average church in the world only has the ability to mature the Christians that go to it into five years of maturity. And after that, there's a steep drop-off. They can do all the basics, but they don't do the advancing. And I believe that part of the way we advance in maturity is by hearing the power of story of people who are paying a price in their Christianity and seeing radical moves of God in their life. And as we hear that, faith comes by hearing, like it says in Romans. And I think we change and we, you know, transforms us. And so, I just bring that up so you can get connected in different ways to us. But we do have books. One of my, I'm going to teach out of Translating God a little bit today. And some of you have read Translating God or heard of it. It's one of my best-selling books. And it's, it's you know, I'll just say this. The prof- How many of you have had a positive experience with prophecy? How many of you have ever had one negative experience with someone prophesying over you? I've had a few. You know, like people coming up to me. And I, I remember going, I was about to move to L.A. And two of my favorite prophets in the whole world prophesied to me that if I moved there, I would die. One of them said, the whole state is going to fall in the ocean. Bill and I are happy that didn't happen. And, uh, and that I need to go there and get as many people to move away as possible. And this is, these are people who don't go to California. They don't have a heart for California. They, neither one of them had been to California in years to minister. And all of a sudden, on their radar was all the negative of what could happen because of the sin of California. And I remember just looking at that going, man, I'm glad I'm grounded in the word of God. I'm glad I'm grounded in what healthy Prophetic is because if you were told that by some spiritual kind of fatherly type people and you weren't grounded, you might miss your whole call. You know, someone might tell you something you because there's so much unintentional manipulation, unintentional wrong doctrine that inspires wrong prophecy. As a matter of fact, the majority of prophecy that comes out on, on internet lists and towards governments and towards cities and towards, like if you look up Los Angeles and prophecy, it's, you know, 300 pages of negative prophecy. There's nothing positive. I mean, we're trying to rebrand that, but there's nothing positive. The majority of prophecy that's been called prophecy is actually discernment. Now, discernment is your ability to relate and sense things spiritually, both good and bad. You can see someone walking down the street and discern that they, if, if, if you get near them, they might be like a mentally you know, um, ill person or a drug addict. And if you get near them, that you might have a bad interaction. So you stay on the other side of the street. Has anybody ever had that? Like you're walking past somebody, you're like, ooh, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Or it could be positive. You discern that somebody has a gift of music in their life, and that's a beautiful thing to discern because you can, you can sew into that by just encouraging them when you hear them do music or ask them about it or whatever. But discernment is not prophecy. Discernment is a conversation starter. It's something that when we're born of spirit, we're spirit. We all have spiritual senses, and our spiritual senses come alive with discernment. Sometimes we can discern spirits. There's a lot of people who call themselves prophets who all they do is discern bad spirits. And they tell you all the bad spirits that exist everywhere. They tell you the mermaid spirit at Starbucks and the Nephilim spirits over this region. And that and $2 can get you on the subway. It's like it doesn't really add that much value to Christianity because it's not actually telling you where God is in that equation or the conversation. As a matter of fact, you can discern something negative about somebody and it can stop or it can stop your love. I've discerned things about even friends. I remember there's this one guy in our church and he's, not a close friend, but a friend. And I was the senior pastor at the time, and he was up on the worship team as one of the worship team, uh, kind of a leader in the worship team, but not a, not a, vi- a voice leader, but behind the scenes. And I saw him, and I felt like I discerned pornography in his life, and I discerned that he might leave his wife 
point of fare. And I just thought, this is terrible. And so I, out of zeal, I was going to go and talk to him afterwards and just see how he's doing and check in with them. You know, ask those questions that are kind of probably like, how are you doing? How's your marriage? What's going on? How's sex? You know, like that's really awkward. So you, you can't just, you know, unless you have a real close relationship, that's a weird one, you know. And so I felt like immediately God showed me, hey, I'm, I'm allowing you to discern some things, but this isn't my story for him. And if you talk to him about this right now, he's going to run. So I want you to discern this, and I'm just asking you to pray with me over this. I'm not asking you to have action, because Jesus never looks away from any act of injustice, any sin. He is completely comfortable, not that he's comfortable with sin or injustice, but he's completely comfortable in himself to see the failure in the world and to see the darkness in the world, because he understands who he is in the equation. And so, you know, I'm looking at this guy, and I only told, my wife wasn't my wife yet, she, I was dating her. And I only told her, I said, let's pray for this couple because this is what I do. I'm only telling you I discern this because I feel like I need a prayer partner in this, and let's pray. And we just treated them normal the whole time. And they, they put on their best Christian face, as we often do. It's like the Instagram highlight reel. It's great, it's great. Have you ever had your friends who are doing awesome, and they show you all the, all the beautiful pictures, and then they all of a sudden one day announce they're getting divorced, and it's already like two weeks away, not like four months away. And you're like, wait a minute. You looked good. Why didn't you tell us? There's no vulnerability and some of us even say, I wish God would have told me, but God told me about this guy and his wife, and I couldn't do anything with it because he was saying, no, I just want you to share my burden. And discernment causes us to share the burden of God, but a lot of times we turn it into a prophetic word, and we, we, we shouldn't, unless God creates a conversation out of it. And so months later, this, this guy, he's leading a worship night uh, at our, our church called an encounter night, and he gets down after the worship and sits down next to me, and there's some ministry stuff going on. And he goes, Sean, I've been in a really bad space. He goes, I'm, I'm so addicted to pornography and I almost left my wife. But I'm so ready to surrender. I need help. I need so much help right now. He goes, there's a woman at my work that I started to have an emotional affair with and she got transferred and that's when I realized how bad it was. Will you help me? And I said, I've been praying for you for three months, believing for your destiny, believing that this is not gonna be your story and I'm so glad you're ready to deal with this. I'm fully willing to help you. And he started to cry because he said, you knew three months ago. And I said, I wasn't sure, but I discerned that this was happening. And so I've been praying for you consistently. And I, I, I do have to confess, I told my, my fiance, just so we could be praying for you and your wife. And he goes, you have no idea. He goes, if you had told me three months ago, I would have run away. But because you told me right now, this makes me feel so loved by God that you had this in your heart. You knew my weakness. You never disqualified me from the worship team. You never took me out based on a yellow flag of discernment. But you allowed me to, in the midst of what you perceived as weakness, to have the only moment I ever saw God in this dark season was when I led worship. And he goes, I'm, I'm fully willing to step away from that first season to get healed because I know I need to get healed. But thank you. Well, they ended up going through inner healing and um, love after marriage with Pastor Bill's church in Bethel. And they now lead a segment of that kind of ministry down in Los Angeles. They're eight, eight years in or nine years in, and they're actually healing marriages right and left. But they just needed that process. Now, I think the majority of what happens is a lot of people can discern the deficit of where God's not. And, we, and it's so real. Have you ever prayed for somebody for healing? And in your head, you're just, like, especially if they're on their deathbed, and you're like, my discernment says they're going to die. Has anybody ever done that? Like, my discernment, they are going to die. They're going to die. But God's spirit sometimes says something different than your discernment, because your discernment might be truth, but his spirit is ultimate truth. Like, you might feel the, the reality of the diagnosis, like, there is no hope for them, until you tap into the Father's heart, and you start to see his original intention, that it was never his desire for them to die at this stage in life. And I've prayed for people who both died. And I prayed for people as though they were going to live, and they died. And I prayed for people as though they were going to live, and they lived. And I've, I've, I've seen both sides of this. But at the same time, there's these moments where I've found myself when I was praying for somebody who was about to pass on and just where God invited me into the place of his belief and his provision for their health. And it was completely unnatural even to what I thought was my spirit man. Because my spirit man was like, oh, they're going to die. It's their time. They're already going. And I see Christians do this all the time. Like, I discerned it. I could already feel they're going to die. Your feeling of impending death is not God. Death doesn't come from God. Feeling death doesn't come from God. A lot of people have told me, oh, my mom was a prophet. She could tell when someone's going to die. And I'm like, no, that's discernment. And she could have actually come up higher and warred against that. Now, there's a time when people are older 
that I believe that God gives us some wisdom or discernment sometimes on, on the end of their life. But there's so many Christians who actually have like a notch on their belt for knowing when people are going to die. That's like not a notch on your prophetic belt. That's actually a notch on your discernment belt that's unprocessed revelation from God. And it's important to hear that and see that because God, the gospel is a gospel of good news and prophecy is a, is a gift set that should enforce the good news of the gospel. As a matter of fact, it proves the life and the redemption of God. It doesn't take away from the life and redemption. Another area that would be like this would be uh, judgment words. A lot of people will give judgment words. And it's so interesting to me. I'm, it's so against my grain. I believe that, I believe in the end time judgments. I believe that there's times that God will judge people like Ananias and Sapphira. Peter didn't say, you know, prophetically, like, if you do this, you will have this judgment or whatever. He just said, hey, simply, I give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit killed them. He wasn't proclaiming, you will die. I never said, it just happened. It was just, that was the way that God dealt with them to show something about the fear of the Lord. But there's this weird thing that Christians think the higher level you are, part of the, the level of that prophetic will be to call out the judgments of God on the earth. And the reality is that Jesus took all judgments and cursing on the cross. And many people want a city like Las Vegas or a place like a, a warlord in, in Malawi or whatever. They want that person to be judged, and they want Jesus to pay the price again for that sin. And so they proclaim something that actually has already been done, and they're actually proclaiming it as if, it, as if Jesus' price wasn't enough. Now, I believe in reaping and sowing, and there's a time to even give reaping and sowing words to say, hey, you have sown in destruction, and you're going to inherit destruction, unless, like in Chronicles, you call out to the Lord and repent and humble yourself, and there's that time to even say, like, this, is, this needs repentance or else you're going to reap what you've sown versus God is now mad at you, angry at you, and judging you. And there's this place where we, we defile the cross. We ask Jesus to pay the price again. And I hear this, I'll go to prophetic roundtables and somebody will bring up a city or an industry. I've, I've had 25 people tell me that the coronavirus is because some pastors were persecuted. And so God unleashed the coronavirus to judge the nation of China, and it's just so ridiculous. You know, we have more deaths from the common cold in China than there has been from coronavirus in the last 12 months. But there's this weird uh, media attention and frenzy on this to scare us, really. It's, it's, a, it's a fear tactic of the enemy. This is not a God-perpetuated thing. This is a fear tactic of the enemy to distract us from what's really important. And it's really interesting to me how many Christians will get on the bandwagon of fear-mongering and they'll declare a judgment that has no place of partnership with faith to overcome the judgment. And so those people are then afflicted and usually the people who are proclaiming it have no relationship or attachment to the actual cities, countries, or regions they're prophesying over or industries. We get it all the time for Hollywood. God's gonna destroy Hollywood. God's gonna, God's gonna attack this person or this celebrity. What this celebrity did is, is gonna reap the judgment of God on their lives. They're, this person has AIDS because they because they, God judged them. No, this person has AIDS because they lived a promiscuous life. And they are reaping. But you know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to heal AIDS. And so we're sending a mixed message. And unfortunately, prophecy has been one of the things that have, has branded Christianity wrong so badly that in most horror movies, there's always a sub-evil character that's a priest or a pastor or a prophet that makes everybody scared of us. Because we've so proclaimed the wrong message with prophecy. And so today I want us to rebrand the message. Now realize in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of ways that prophecies were given. But if you read our modern prophets book, it goes over this really clearly so you can have the deep theology of it. But the main ways were messianic prophecies, which we don't need anymore. He's already here. So we don't have messianic prophecies anymore. There was the law-abiding prophecies, which were all the law that was given. So it was the container of grace that God had for his people to understand and know him. So, the, you know, prophecies about how to build the temple, prophecies about which laws, like the tablets that Moses had. We don't have those anymore. It was abolished through Jesus. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. And so we don't need people to give us laws. If anybody's trying to give you laws and how you should serve them, they are not God. Be careful. You know, there's a lot of Christian cultish activity that happens, starting with well-intentioned Christians who use a God card on something to manipulate. And they're, they're, sometimes you don't know they're even doing it. But law-abiding prophecies are no longer part of the New Testament. And then we have purpose and potential prophecies. There's many other types too. But purpose and potential prophecies, which were in the Old Testament, that there's many of them. As a matter of fact, if you take out prophecy and the theme of prophecy from the Old Testament, one-third is gone. One-third is gone. That's an incredible amount. 
So promise and potential prophecies, the interesting thing about them is that those are the kinds that were modeled by New Testament prophets primarily. There were sometimes warning prophecies, but they still had promise and potential in them. If, you know, Agabus warns in, in Acts that there's a famine coming, so they're all able to store up enough that even people who didn't hear the prophecy were still fed by the believers who, who were in agreement with the prophecy. And they partnered their faith, not... Um, because I'm pending doom, but because they were being saved by the grace of God through a prophecy. It's a beautiful word. But prophecy, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 14, that it should feel like strengthening, encouragement. It should feel like someone shares God's heart with you and you feel like you're the best version of yourself in that moment. Like there's an original version of you that God's sowing into that he loves so much. He loves who you are now, but he has an original version that you will be in eternity. It's kind of like our children when they're growing up, like my five-year-old, she's the heart child. She's, she's like, she's beautiful. And she's not like, if she gets intense, it's cute. Like my, my six year old, when she gets intense, it changes my mood. Like she can make me anger, angry faster than anyone else in the whole world. And I thought I dealt with anger until I had her. She's one of the most alpha females I've ever met. She's also a lamb, but she can be the lion a lot. And so she's, she's going to lead like the United Nations or something because she has such a power to change the mood of a room, both good and bad. My little five-year-old, we purposely named her Hartley because we were like, we need a heart child. Her name means stag in a meadow, peacefully eating. Like, that's what we wanted, right? We wanted someone who's peaceful because we had Harper, who is like a warrior. And she's like three boys put into one girl, you know. She's just, it's crazy. And so Hartley, you know, she's going through a phase where she says things like, I don't love you no more, I don't love you. And we look at it and we smile. If Harper said that, I'd be like, what? Because she would mean it. Like, Harper means what she says. Harley doesn't mean what she says at all. She just gets upset. She might be hangry. She might have just had a bad moment. She might have had a toy she misplaced. And she's, makes extra, she's an artist. She's a creative person. So she just has huge, broad, sweeping statements. Like, the dog kind of bit me and I hate him now forever. I'll never play with him again. And I'm like until five minutes later where she gets, you know, it's the artist and she's David in her heart. She's not, you know, she's not Paul who's like very structured and everything he says is what he means. She's the, the creative one who's like, oh Lord, today I'm afflicted. Will I ever have life again? You're five, you're fine. And with Hartley, she's a words of affirmation girl. So when I speak to her and I say, Hartley, let me tell you who you are. Mommy and I dreamed of you before you were born. And I, we didn't dream of what you would do because you're going to decide that. But we dreamed of your character with God. We saw patience. We saw love. We saw passion inside of you. You know how you get so upset? That's the passion of God inside of you. You know how you get so excited? That's his passion inside of you. And you need to now, of course, build character around it. And we're going to help you do that. And she's five years old and she's very emotionally intelligent. So she's like, yeah. You know, in that moment, she's like super connected. And then five minutes later, she might be like, but the whole sky is falling. Or she might be super happy. And like, you know, I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. She said several times, this is my favorite day ever after Chick-fil-A. You know. But if I, if I use my father's voice and I said, Hartley, sternly, you know, what you're doing right now is wrong. And how you're exaggerating is wrong. And I started to discipline her in this area that was actually a God-given place inside of her, that's the five-year-old is caring, so it's going to be extreme, then I would actually destroy the foundation and actually put to rest the very thing that God's put inside of her. And many of us have used prophetic words out of discernment or we've had prophetic words out of a place that didn't have the fullness of the person we're speaking to in mind. And so we've said things in part, but we've said it in a part where we could have turned our love on in maximum and actually had an incredible result with that person. I don't have the luxury of prophesying to people who are just full Christians who have great character. Most of the people that I minister to are in process, including myself. And I love that Paul puts these, you know, this is for strengthening, encouragement, edifying. It's to call out the golden people. It's to call people, like I said last night, you are going to win the trophy. It's already in your destiny. God already has you on this race. They're like, I didn't even know there was a race. I feel like such a failure. You're already a winner. You're already wearing a victor's crown. This is who you are. Like speaking that to somebody in the church is super safe. Speaking it to a prostitute in the church isn't always so safe. Because the church, there's places that are Christian illegal for us to go because we've so separated ourselves from the love of God. When he came, he went to people that we wouldn't go to to build our leadership teams. 
we're looking for the ones who will add value to us. None of the people he chose would add immediate value to him. That's huge. He saw something in them from the Father, and it caused him to make relational decisions where towards three years into their lives with him, he called them apostles, though they were still going to deny him, but he could care less about the weakness because he saw what God was going to do with them. I mean, that's a level of like, really? Like, how do we get there? When we're talking about the prophetic, it's not just a gift. It's not just speaking words. It's also the culture. I love you, Thunder. It's like the voice of God. It's also the culture and how we treat people, the culture and how we express love. And when you have, like, discernment, I have a flag about her. I have a check about that person. Ooh, that person, you know, it'll cause us to not see who people really are. I remember being in Honolulu, and I wrote this in Transiting God. I was in Honolulu with a Asian group. I was doing a PhD program teaching their, their Bible school, which I'm totally unqualified for, but it was a lot of fun. And I was staying in the top of a condominium in a nice part of Honolulu, and so it was beautiful, but the, um, it was, there was a lot of construction at the time downtown. So the red light district had moved right at the end of the block I was staying on. And every night they would drop me off, and they had, like, food. I was allergic to fish at the time. And so I've been healed of that, which is cool, but I still have issues. And so I, um, I couldn't eat any of the food that they had at their place because it was all, like, fish eggs, fish this, fish paste, fish everything. So I'd get home, and I'd go to the Subway Sandwich down the street. But to go there, it was, like, 11 o'clock at night, and I'd have to go through the red light district. Well, this one particular night there was this boy on the edge of the, uh, the, the district, and he said, hey, bro, he's Hawaiian, you know, has this thick Hawaiian accent. You need something? And I'm like, no. Why are you asking? Like, I didn't know it was a drug dealer. I had no idea. So I'm like, no. And he goes, I said, I need a sandwich. Can you help me with a sandwich? He goes, no, but I can give you some pot, you know, some marijuana. I'm like, oh, no, no, that'd make me way more hungrier. I just want a sandwich. I just want, I've never smoked pot, but I know that's what it does. I just want a sandwich. And he starts laughing. He goes, how about a girl? And he's just being, like, matter of fact. And he points at a little girl who's, like, 16 years old. She looks 14, but she's 16 years old over on the step. And there's two teenage boys next to her. And they were, like, runaways. And they're not in the, the full red light district where that's controlled by more of the pimps. They're just with this guy. This guy is probably 22, 23 years old. And I look over at her, and inside of me, I don't see a girl who's trying to prostitute herself. I see a girl who's a leader. I see a girl who has a worship calling. I see a girl. I see all kinds of things. In my spirit, I can't see a, 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 a prostitute. So I walk over to her, and she just feels like a daughter for that moment. I borrowed the Father's heart of God. And I walk over to her, and I go, hey, um, I don't need the girl that way, but hey, I'm a pastor from Los Angeles. And I said, what's your dream in life? She goes, I don't have a dream in life. Of course she doesn't. She's a runaway street kid prostituting herself. I said, well, God has a dream for you, and I've this is not a model I've used. I've done this a few times since, but it's not something that I would, like, know how to even initiate. I just said, hey, God has a dream for you, and you know before you were ever born, he thought of you, good works you would do. He thought about your personality. He thought about your creativity, and he wants to share some of those thoughts with you right now. So we're going to ask God for one thing that you could do in this season of time that would actually be, like, who you're supposed to be do, like, the, the thing you're called to. And so we're going to ask for that. So I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to pray, and then God's going to speak it to you. And after I said it, I was like, oh, my dear Lord, I don't know if this is going to happen. You know, it, it, it was one of those times that you feel a little possessed by God because you wouldn't have said that. And so, so she's like, okay. And her friends are like, oh, my God. They were rolling their eyes as little teenage boys more than, you know, cars roll down the street. They're just, you know. They were so fed up with me already. And so she closed her eyes, though. She takes it serious, and I go, God of all the universe. And I hid the salvation prayer in it just in case. So she repeated everything. So I got her, like, ambush saved, but not really. And, um, and, then, and then I said, what is one thing that I could do in, in this time frame, this time period of my life, that I was made to do? What is something that you – and I'm, I just keep saying words because I, I, I didn't know what to do. So I was too wordy. And she goes, <gasps> She interrupted me, and her friends go, what? Wait, wait a minute. What? 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 And she's like, I'm supposed to be a cook. And I go, wait, like, like, a, like a chef? Like cook food? Like cook? Because I didn't know if it was like a Hawaiian word or something, the way she was saying it. I go, you know, a cook? And she's like laughing. She goes, a cook. And I go, have you ever cooked anything before? And she's like, no. I said, macaroni and cheese in the microwave? She's like, yes. And I was like, you could be a cook. And I said, okay, let's ask God for one way that you can walk towards that this week. She goes, okay. She puts her eyes down, and now the guys are, like, looking at her like, what's happening? Because they, they apparently know her really well. And she goes, she, oh, before I even tell her what to pray, she's praying it in her head. And she goes, oh, I can contact my uncle. He owns a diner. 
And I said, you know, like, tell me about your uncle. She goes, well, I haven't met him since I was three years old. And I'm 16 now. But I think if I call him, he'll let me come work at his diner. He'll give me a job. And I said, okay, do you promise me to call him? Here's my phone number. You need to call me this week and tell me when you, you know, tomorrow, tell me when you talk to your uncle. She goes, I promise you. And I said, see, this is God because this is not your story to be on the streets. And she goes, I know it's not my story. I know I, this is, yeah. And then one of, the, one of the teenage boys who was the one who was the most, <sighs> was like, I want a dream. Do me. So let me tell you about her, though. We, he's another story, but let me tell you about her. So she, she um, calls her uncle. It was a couple days before she could get a hold of him because she didn't have his phone number. She calls her uncle. Her uncle and his wife get on the phone and said, honey, do you know why your mom ran away from our family? She said, no. He said, we prayed for you every day until this phone call. He said, your mother left because she was a drug addict, and she knew that because she ran away because her mom was a drug addict. And she left us because we're Christians. Honey, that guy who prayed with you, we've been praying that God would send someone like him. Will you come live with us? We're going to help you. So she calls me, or texts me on her 17th birthday and says, you got to hear this, like, call me, Sean. And so I call her, and I go, what's going on? She goes, Sean, my uncle, she's a, she just got her GED, and she was going to go to college. And so she's very bright. She's very good at education, but she decided to bypass. GED means that she finishes her school early. Um, takes a test, and so she can go straight into college. She goes, I was going to go to college, but my uncle bought another diner, and he told me he would teach me to be the manager because she was doing so good at it. She's now a worship leader at her church. She's radically saved, and she's such a manager at her current diner that her uncle's like, let's open another diner, and let's do like a hipster coffee pie place here in Honolulu. So he buys this diner that's next to a bowling alley, and says, I'm going to give you owner equity share. So within one year, she became a worship leader, a diner owner, and her story had totally changed because of one word. Now realize, I never prophesied over her. We have a God who's a father in heaven who has seven billion plus pieces of his heart that are all over the earth right now. And he's constantly trying to reveal himself to us at all times. How many of you got saved later in life? Anybody get saved later in life? How many of you who got saved later in life, because there's a lot of you, can look back now and see where God showed up in times that you didn't recognize it, right? You look back and you go, oh, there he was. Oh, he, he saved my life in that car accident. Oh, that, that one relationship that I almost married, he saved me, or maybe I married and he got me out of it or whatever because they were so abusive. He helped me here. He helped me here. God has been pursuing you from before you were in your mother's womb. He put a plan together to give you the ultimate ability to see him in your life because it's his greatest desire that you'd be connected to him. Now, prophecy and these prophetic gifts help you to see the Father, that he loves you, that he believes in you, that he's a plan for you, and that he has an identity for you that you're not walking in. When you become a Christian, you start to see more and more of that through the scriptures. You see it theologically, but you also see it by his spirit. And we're called to encourage each other, one to another, with songs, hymns and spiritual songs, with prophecies, with these things, because it reveals what we can't always see by ourselves or we see in part, and it brings a more full picture. And this is important as we talk about this, because some of you are saying, well, I'm not the prophetic one, or my friend prophesied, or I don't get a lot of words. Well, before it's a word, can you see your daughter or your son or your spouse at the end of the race with the trophy in their hand? Are you treating the people in your life with that kind of value? And if you're not, come under conviction today in a healthy way, not in a condemnation and shame, but a place of like, ooh, I get to do that? That's available for me? Like, think about the person you're having the most problems with right now in your relationship circle. It could be a family member. It could be a business coworker. It could be your spouse, whatever. And you have the most problems with them. Think about if God would just give you a glimpse of how much he loves them, who they truly are, and wouldn't that change the conversation because it's no longer about being right and wrong in that relationship anymore or what they've done to you or what you've done to them, but it's now about God's ultimate desire to see them and show you them in a way that they can't be today. But you could sow into belief like they're that already, like Jesus did with, you know, Peter when Peter goes, I would never deny you. I said, yes, you will. You'll deny me three times, but it's okay. I'll come back and get you. I mean, we can't do that in our humanity without revelation. God prepares us through revelation to love well. 
He helps us to see people in a way, in a frame of mind that we don't have in our humanity. It's kind of like a father with Harper when she was in the womb. I would speak into my wife's belly so much so that she just would end up watching TV and ignore me because I'd speak to Harper every day and I'd tell her things like, I don't know if I'll be able to, um, what I'll be able to do, but I know I'm going to buy you your first car. I just feel like God will have us at a place of income where I could buy you a safe, nice car. And I'm going to pay your way through college. I think you're going to be highly educated. And I'm going to pay your way through college. If you decide not to go, it's okay. But I feel like God's setting aside income in our lives. And we're going to plan it into our lives that you're going to whatever college you want to. We're going to believe God because my parents couldn't do that for us. And I just felt like God was saying, I, I can do that for your daughter. And so I would tell her, like, what, there's places in the, the nations. I want you to have a globalized perspective. And so I'd say, Harper, I'm going to take you to some of the worst places so you can have compassion. But I'm going to take you to some of the best places so you can understand beauty. I want to take you to places that are artistic monuments that have built my life and my perspective. But I want to bring you to places where there's great conflict so you can understand what God needs to redeem. And I'm telling her these kinds of things, and I'm just planning out, so, you know, like when you're a teenager, these are the kinds of things your mom and I want to do, and I'm just making declarations over her future. And, and after doing this for many, many nights, you know, just like, I don't know how many nights, I hear the father say, Sean, I pre-planned your life better than you're pre-planning hers, meaning I've stored up in my heart from the beginning of time things that would develop you and cause you to see who you are in me and cause you to thrive, like John 10 says. And I remember just going, man, if we could just see those things, if we could just see what God had in store for us, a little glimpse of it, because it comes from a father's heart, not just from a, a benevolent God who has nice things for us, but it comes from a father who's like, I dream dreams of you. Now, I know with my daughters that if I give them too many things right now, they become monsters. Like at Christmas time, they, they're on gift overload because we have lots of family from all over. And they send them presents. So they come and visit and they bring them presents. And by like day 15 of Christmas, they've had so many presents that they're like, oh, that's cool. And they just kind of toss it aside. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do this. So I know I have to help them to understand poverty. I know I have to help them to put some restraint on that. We've actually limited their gifts now because it's just getting ridiculous when it happens. But they'll get in a cycle of gift giving that if we give them too much, they don't appreciate anything. Why not for us as Christians, God has time-release capsules of love and goodness for us because if he gives it to us, and especially if he tells us what's coming, we won't even want to live today. I know if I tell Harper and Hartley that we're going to Disneyland, if I tell them the first day of school, we're going to Disneyland at Christmas break, they will hate school for three months. They won't want to go once. They'll look at me every day like, why are you making me do this evil thing when I can do the glory? If I tell them the week of, I know I won't get sleep. So I'm not going to tell them the week of because they're too little. They, they don't have patience. Their patience meter is this big. If I tell them the, day, the night before, they will be at my bedside 15 times. Is it, is it morning yet? Because they have no concept of time. It's still dark. But does that mean it's morning or not morning? I don't know right now. I think it's, I think it's not morning anymore. If I tell them the morning of, they will bug me until we're in the car so badly that we won't be able to get ready for, to go. So why they're buckled in the car, and it's a 45-minute drive, I will turn around with Cherie, my wife, and we'll look at them and say, girls, guess where we're going? Because we only have 45 minutes of them bugging the crap out of us. God never tells us the bigger things in life that would cause us to have such a reach for tomorrow that we don't have contentment today. There's many Christians who are living with their future version of themselves that don't believe in their today self. And this is the day the Lord's made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, which means this is the only day we're promised, which means the full capacity to walk in God's goodness is here right now. And most of the prophecies, 99% of the prophecies, this is no joke, it's not exaggerated, 99% of potential and promise uh, prophecies in the Old Testament were for the now or the immediate future. Did you know that? They weren't for the long term. They weren't. Now, the Messianic promises were long term for Israel, but the promise and potentials were for the next five years, sometimes the next 10 years. Now, this is helpful because when you understand God is a father, he knows us. We're the, we're the ones that if we hear it, we're like, I can't sleep anymore, God. I just want that so bad. And he's like, that's why I can't tell you things. But this also gives you hope that when God speaks to something to you, deeply into your spirit that you can anticipate it that it's going to become part of your now somehow. 
Now, there's a few things, you know, we've had, some of you might have had words from the 80s that haven't come true yet. And there's times God does that. But if your greater hope is in those words and not your life, you're not really living. That's not what it was intended for in the first place. And that's important to note because when we start the prophetic culture, there's so many people who will say huge things and they'll say them in exaggerated ways and it takes the possibility out of it. Like when I was training my prophetic team uh, last time, one of the girls who was new, she was, you know, it wasn't like an auditorium stuff, so we're just in a group. And there's about 100 of us and she prophesies over the girl who's sitting right here and says, you're an actress. And the girl, like half our group is an actress or an actor. And the girl's like, uh-huh, because she feels acknowledged. She was like, thank God someone sees me. Artist. You know, and she's like, you will win awards for acting. And I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. She goes, you're like the next Meryl Streep. I see you at the Academy Awards. I'm like, no, 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 Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Because to say you're an actress and God wants to empower acting actually gives her steps she could take towards that. She could take classes. She could try to get an agent. She can actually walk in it. But to say you're Meryl Streep takes every step away from that. There's no way to become like the most iconic actress in our Hollywood industry. There's no progressive path towards it. And there's no way to win an Academy Award directly. So now she has no ability or power from the word. Now she just has in her head, I have to do that. So I can't be in a, a, a hemorrhoid commercial because that would ruin my Meryl Streep. Calling. Hey, so you got to start somewhere. And so I had to tell her, like, did you really see her like Meryl Streep or was that your hope for it? She goes, I don't know. I'm like, I want you to practice giving words at the level of what you're at. And the prophetic, which is just, just encourage. And just say, hey, I feel, I feel um, acting on you. I feel like God's going to really be with you in that. Because that's huge. That's, she could take that to her spiritual bank and cash it tomorrow. She could do something with that today. And unfortunately, a lot of us, even when we've given prophetic words or gotten prophetic words, the person who was giving her, it might have been us. I've done it sometimes. Have exaggerated the the. The, the persona of what it was and caused people to not be able to run to Jesus with it. And so again, I'm dismantling some of the things that have caused us to not live correctly in the prophetic. Some of you may have gotten a word that you need to downgrade the word so you can walk in it today. And then if the big thing happens, it's awesome. I've had some words about the entertainment industry and for a while it kept me in the wrong place, not the right place. I'm mean, just back in my 20s. It kept me in a weird place where I, I couldn't do normal because I was waiting for the exalted. But we're called to be the servants of all. So if I'm called to it, I should be happy if I'm cleaning the toilets in Hollywood as well as if I am awarded and celebrated there. I, I love, you know, how our examples of end-time revival, revivalists are like Daniel and Joseph and Esther, none of who, whom were number one. They were serving the, their kingdoms. None of them were kings of the mountain. But thank God for Babylon that, you know, Daniel was there. Thank God for Egypt that Pharaoh was there, or that Pharaoh, Joseph was there. You know, thank God that we had them. Sometimes people say, you know, what's the use of having a Joseph if he's not the leader of all? Because he has the heart of kings in his hands, and things will happen for Israel or for us as Christians when you have a Joseph in, in a place of, of authority that wouldn't have happened without them. And the prophetic causes us to come in a place of servant love for what God's created even before it's worthy of it. Because Jesus made everyone worthy on the cross the moment he died. And when he raised from the dead, he gave us full potential back, not just to be like, okay, but to be a fully remanifest form of what the Father originally dreamed. And so you have the right as a Christian to see people that way, to see the world that way. What was God's dream? What was his divine incentive for sending a people to South Africa and colonizing this part of the continent? What were the redemptive gifts over this nation? And if you're not living with those at the forefront of your mind and you're seeing five negative points before you see five positive points, you're not walking in faith. Which means it's impossible to please God with your relationship to your government because you're not in faith for what he can do regardless of what's not happening. And this is where the prophetic comes into play, where it becomes a redemptive gift that causes us to not be a glass half full or glass half empty, but to be overflowing in our expectation for our God to do something that's beyond what we could hope for or imagine in our wildest dreams. Do you realize that's what Ephesians 3.20 says? This wasn't Paul being poetic. Remember, Paul was a literalist. He was not a poet. David was the poet. Paul was like, I'm going to call things how they are. When you're with Paul and he said something, it wasn't nice figurative speech. It was exact speech. And so he, unless he was uh, being sarcastic, which I love that Paul was sarcastic. It's my favorite because I'm very sarcastic. 
But Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, God wants to do beyond what you could hope for or imagine in your wildest dreams. One of the reasons why he gave us the vehicle of walking in the spirit is so we could dream with him, not with ourselves. I thought that was good. So I want to go over these gifts real fast as we're just in this moment. And the first gift, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is, these are all in 1 Corinthians 13, and you can, um, we have all kinds of notes on this and books on this. Transcend God has it. The workbook has it. Uh, Modern Prophets has it. And it'll flesh it out more for those of you who want it. But this is for all believers. We're all supposed to have all gifts. Paul commissions the church of Corinth, and he says, hey, all of you go after the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then later on he says it again, 1 Corinthians 14, he says, hey, you guys, love is the most important thing. Die for love. And while you're dying for love and living for love, make sure you practice the spiritual gifts, especially that you can prophesy, because it reveals his nature the quickest on the earth. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I'm saying. And he tells this to the church that was the Hillsong or the Bethel of their day. This church thought that they were the coolest or they were the coolest or whatever. They were the church that everybody wanted to go to. They were the church that seemed to be the most gifted. And every... Bill probably hated that, that I said it was the Bethel or the Hillsong. But, but they were the church that people would go to for leadership conferences and everything else. And they had prophets and they had apostles and they had these people. And so he tells them in the midst of what they were doing, don't, like first, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, which is really powerful. This will help you. In 1 Corinthians 1, around 26, he says, not many of you were the sharpest bulb in the, in the, or the sharpest lantern that gives off the most light. But God chose you, the weird ones the ones who weren't highly educated, the ones who weren't high in society, chose you, the weakest things of the world, to shame the wise. So he's telling the coolest place on earth in the church, y'all aren't that cool. You got upgraded. And then he tells him in 1 Corinthians 2, and I, I'm not gonna do the second part, but the first part he says, I didn't come with wisdom, I didn't come with persuasion, I came with spiritual acts that revealed God to you. Spiritual acts of his nature with powerful demonstration of who, of, of who he is. And then he tells us there's many gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're all going to have different gifts. But we all have the capacity for all. And this is so good because if you're only, you know, I have the gift of whatever helps. Like my spiritual gifts test told me, like I told you last night. And I'm looking at somebody who I'm moved in compassion for his healing. And I go, I wish I had the gift of healing. Oh, geez. I wish Bill was here so he could pray for him. Jesus would say to you, I, I am Jesus who lives inside of you. I am called healer. Like, I am in you. And Paul was trying to identify these guys, saying, don't get entitled. Don't get elitist on certain gifts. Don't think you're awesome or more awesome than you are. But actually recognize there's a grace from God who's bringing you his nature through these powerful gifts to be able to meet the needs of the world and to, to display in complicated problems simple solutions. Like the prophetic is amazing at creating simple solutions in the most complicated problems. And so he's saying, go after this like your life depended on it. Go after love and the spiritual gifts. So prophecy itself is one of the gifts, is a, is a knowing the time and season you're in, or it's a knowing what God's doing in the now or the immediate future or long-term future. So it's when God whispers into your heart or speaks to you over you personally, over a people group, over a nation, over an industry, and he speaks the times and seasons, or he speaks something he's doing. So it helps to align your faith. It helps you to go, thank God. It helps you to say, ooh, now it's getting really good. It helps you to get upgraded. It helps you to feel breakthrough. It helps you all those things. And prophecy is such a valuable thing that when someone comes in a room and they've never heard that prophetic perspective and they hear it, they're blessed. Meaning they have more favor, they have more resource, they have more honor just because they heard it. Now we see that the book of Revelation says those who read this are blessed. That's what every revelation does. When you hear a revelation that applies to you, you are enhanced by it. It enhances who you are. That's why we want prophetic perspective that's healthy, not just discernment. We want to hear what God is saying, not just what we feel. Because when you hear what God's saying, you're like, that's it. I've seen people who are about to jump boat out of great projects, whether it be in Hollywood or churches or whatever else. They're about to leave. They're about to transition. And one prophetic perspective comes, and they're willing to die again for that company or that organization. Because they see the vision. They're like, ooh, I see the vision. This is worth it. Because as humanity... We start to look at what's not worth it, and we start to align with that, and we jump ship. But when you see what God's doing, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. The potential of this isn't just human potential. It's spiritual, mandated, sovereign potential. And if we align our faith with this, this will be our fruit. And it's well beyond what we could have hoped for or imagined. 
So prophecy is so powerful, but when you couple prophecy with words of knowledge, it's my favorite. Words of knowledge, the word for that is, in the Bible is gnosis. And it's a, it's a Greek word, and it's a really mystical word. It was used for kind of the new age of the day. And that was confusing that Paul always used like Roman and Greek words, things that meant something to someone else, and he would repurpose them. Like the word apostle that Jesus used was actually, you know, a Roman word. Well, the word gnosis was not a Christian word. It was actually a word that was more like super spiritual or like people that used in other spiritual forms. They said uh, epinosis meant gained or trusted knowledge that you gained from either just human wisdom of life or you gained from education. But gnosis meant the secret knowledge. And what this meant is that you could perceive the thoughts of God about something that happened in someone's life or was happening in someone's life and you could help interpret what God was saying through it. In other words, I've gotten words of knowledge that are maybe as simple as someone's birthday. What is this date to you? That's the year I was born. This is what God says about it. He formed you in your mother's room. He formed you for something. You're going to live with great purpose. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it because everybody loves their birthday. Even if you hate your birthday because maybe it's not a fun day for you, you love the fact that you were born. So if somebody says happy birthday, it lights almost everybody up unless they're broken. You know, if you go to Disneyland and, they, and you can wear a button, and it says happy birthday on it, and all the Disney workers will say happy birthday to you all day, and you will be on words of affirmation overload because you're like, my life means something. It's my birthday. You know, words of knowledge can be even more complicated, and uh, there's 63 examples in the scripture of words of knowledge, and I love, I'll just, I won't tell you the scriptural ones other than one of my favorite, which is Ananias in the book of Acts, and, and God comes and speaks to his prophet, Ananias, and Ananias gives me so much courage, and he goes, Ananias, I have a mission for you. And Ananias is like, yeah? And he goes, go down to this street. And tells him the street name, Word of Knowledge. He's like, yes, go to this house. I've seen that house, Word of Knowledge. Go to that house. Go meet with a man that's there. I can't wait to find an appointment. His name is Saul. Wait a minute. That's the guy who tries to kill people like me. No thanks. And he goes, Ananias, you wanted to do this with me. You better go. That's when you know you're hearing from God because it's not quite what you thought you'd anticipate. You're like, I'm ready for your glory. And you say yes to him all day long on the altar here. You're like worshiping with him going, I will go for revival. And he's like, okay, this is great. I want you to go meet with a person who has racism towards you and hates you and you're gonna have great fruit. And you're like, oh, no thanks. That's how God is. And so Ananias you know, goes to the house and he knocks on the door and he says, um, is there a man named Saul here? And they're like, yes, he's blind in the back. And he goes and lays hands on him. And because he was faithful and obedient, he gets all these words and words that lead him there. And he understood what God was doing with this man. He was one of the first ones who saw Paul spiritually as who he was. That's what the prophetic does. It causes you to see the blind as though they can see, but not just naturally, but in the spirit. And so, you know, I love these kinds of stories. But I remember uh, and a modern day example was uh, I was with uh, an actor and his wife, and he's not um, a believer, or he wasn't at the time a, be- a full believer yet. He believed in God. He was a searcher, a seeker. And they'd ask me over. I, I get involved in these things all the time. I don't know how I get there, but I'm over at this, like, A-list actor's house with his wife. And they're like, and she's more of the believer. And they're like, okay, we're going to do a prophetic appointment. But they've been to psychics, and they've had witches come through with sage to clean out the spiritual climate. And, they, you know, they're, they were seekers. And so I get there, and they're like, okay, what's the difference between you and the Long Island medium? I'm like, I don't speak to dead people, and I have one source, is Jesus Christ. You know, like, hello, you know. And, uh, and I didn't say it like that, but I was, had fun with them. And, and so we talked for a while. And then I go, okay, well, let's, let's pray. Let me pray for you guys. I just want to pray and just bless you. And they're like, okay. And they didn't know what to do. So uh, I think she got down on her knees, but he had a back issue. And I go, no, you don't have to do that. Just go ahead. Let's just be normal. Just, <laughs> it's okay to get on your knees, though. But it's, if you're more comfortable, stay on your knees. But this, that felt real weird. I'm not a priest, you know. And so I just say, you know, God, show us anything you want to show us. And they had specific things they asked me to pray for, and I got zero about those, which is so like God, because we ask God direct questions, and he answers in parables. He's so good because he wants to walk with us, not just give us something to do. He wants to do something with him, not for him. And so these people are sitting there, and I go, I see your desk, and I see under this pile of papers halfway down, there's two newspaper clippings that you keep pulling out. This is to the man. You keep pulling out. It's like you look at them all the time. And God is saying they're, they're both not true, and especially one of them, I think it's about your father. And it's not only is the report not true, but what you believe about yourself is not true. And God is saying, stop looking at these two reports. I have a higher report for you. And, and so I'm seeing a word of knowledge about this. And he's like, what? And then his wife's looking at him like, what is he talking about? Like she didn't think it was real. And he goes, you have no idea, you have no, you have no idea. 
And it said, every day that I'm home, I go into my office and I have my meditation time and I pull out two articles and one of them, they're clippings, and one of them is, he's laminated them. That's how specific they are. One of them is a review from my favorite acting job I ever had. And it was the reviewer was one of the top reviewers that I always wanted to impress my whole life before I started acting. And he gave me the worst review he's ever given anyone. And I look at it every day and I just think, I'll never become greater than this. How terrible. How locked up. The second one was his dad's obituary. And his dad had uh, uh, killed himself. And the reality is when it, with what I said, his mom told him, your dad was about to take you hunting. And he was cleaning the guns and the gun went off in his face. And it was very unusual how it went off. It wasn't like how people normally target th- themselves to kill themselves. And, but the coroner just said it was a, a suicide because it was unusual. And so my word was, you'll, and, and so he thought in his heart he was going to kill himself one day like his father. So one little word of knowledge, one little word that had nothing to do with what they were asking about caused him to come out of wrong identity towards his acting career and also towards his life and his father. And he, he said, I can't not believe now. My father didn't commit suicide. I know it now. Like just because of this word, I know he didn't, and I won't either. And so I began to pray with him. I was like, you need to know God this way. Like, this is how good he is. He reforms. Like, you know these are lies now, right? Yeah. What other lies do you believe? You won't know unless you know Jesus. And so I led him to Jesus in a real way where they understood what they were actually asking and inviting from God. And it was so beautiful. But that's what words of knowledge do. It causes the secrets, like it says in 1 Corinthians 14, the secrets of your heart to be laid bare. And it causes you to believe that the God who's omnipresent is now manifest present. In your life, it is in the here and now. He's not, God is watching us from a distance. I mean, it's not the Bette Midler like he's out there somewhere on a cloud. He's the God of love who wants to come out of time or out of timelessness and into our moment because that's how much he loves us. And the third one, which is my favorite and the most underused in the church today is word of wisdom. And word of wisdom is such a cool word. And I love this because Paul uses this word in the same way several times in different ways. One of them would be, um, in Ephesians 1.17, besides the gift of the word of wisdom, he says, I-, I pray that God would give you wisdom and revelation so you could really know Jesus more. So if you're like, I don't have the gift of prophecy or the, these prophetic gifts, you can't know Jesus the way you're supposed to if you don't have it. Paul prayed it for you. There's another time where he says, you know, we, we treasure Jesus because he releases to us wisdom and knowledge. And these were both the same words of Gnosis and Sophia. So how many of you know someone named Sophia? You can just bless them right now if you're a Sophia. You can just be blessed. Sophia means knowing how to regulate or, or walk in your relationship with God. It means spiritually you start to understand what God's doing. You start to know what his mind and perceptions are about the world around you. People who are in politics and are sent there and assigned there, a lot of times they have so much wisdom. They make something that seems so hard to understand yesterday be believable and understandable today. People who are, you know, creatives, people who are, uh, over major issues. I met people in the United Nations. I have several friends in the United Nations, and they have a gift of revelatory wisdom. I think Pastor Bill has revelatory wisdom in the Word of God that causes the most complicated subjects to just be so normal to us today. Like, if you read his first major book, When Heaven Invades Earth, I've read it several times, and you just read it, and you're like, everything, I, I taught a Bible school class on the same co- concept of this in Kansas City, and it took me 30 hours And I did this 15 times, this Bible school class, to prove what he taught in one and a half hours one time at a meeting I was at, which was basically the One Heavens Invades Earth book. And I looked at him and I said, it was when I first met him, and I said, I've so complicated this. I have to teach for 30 hours before we get here. You got here in five minutes and then proved it for 45. So when people have revelatory wisdom, it causes things to be so simplified. And it doesn't mean they're simple to understand in the sense of, practicing, but it's simple to understand in the sense of embracing in our faith. And words of wisdom, are the, it's the navigation, the GPS of God for complication. It's the GPS of God to understand infrastructure of the kingdom. And a lot of people who are apostolically gifted have words of wisdom as part of their framework. And so these are so important to understand discernment, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and words of prophecy. And even when you're doing it, when you're sharing with somebody, you can go, oh, that was a word of wisdom, like that, that counsel that I gave, that spirit of counsel. And have you ever done that? Like you're giving the most amazing counsel you've ever given, and you're like, I should be paid for this. I'm amazing. I just saved their marriage. I need to, I mean, Dr. Phil, move over. I'm going to have my own TV show. This is amazing. And then you give, like, advice again, like, the next day, and it's terrible, and it doesn't land, and there's no anointing on it. You're like, okay, that was Jesus yesterday. 
I'm not that awesome. You know, like you've been there. I know some of you have been there. You're like, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. If we can turn on all these gifts at demand, I mean, God has a will. I don't know if you, is anybody here married to a woman? If you're married to a woman, there's a lot of things that are not on demand. There's a lot of empowerment that you don't have to make. Unless you're a controlling husband, my wife is an alpha female, I'm an alpha male, and us together equals either marriage problems or blessing. Luckily, it's been blessing. But she has her own will. And so, like, for me to come to her and just try and get her to meet, like, transactionally my demands would never work because she has a personality and she knows who she is. Well, God is the ultimate in knowing who he is, and he has a personality. And so when we come to the prophetic transactionally and say, I need this from you. Why aren't you giving it to me? I'm so disappointed. He's like, hey, hey, actually talk to me, not at me. And I have a reason for it. And if I delay something, it's because I'm working a greater benefit for you in the first place. And if we would learn how to listen to God the way he wants to talk to us, then because it's a real relationship, it's not, it's not just theory, it's a real relationship with a God who has a real personality, then we're going to actually have the benefit of these gifts in our life that they may not be transactional, but man, they will be empowering, which is super powerful. Now, I have a joke for me, and, and I'm just going to wrap this up, we're going to take a little break here, but I have a joke for me that um, when, when Pastor Bill and I are in airports and somebody runs up to him and says, Pastor Bill, you've changed my life, can you sign my book? When they come up to me, they're like, Sean, I don't know what's going to happen in my business, I need breakthrough, and I'm going through divorce, can you help me? A little bit different of a fanfare. I'm like, I would love someone to just come up to me and say, your book changed my life. But almost everybody who comes up to me in public, which is every day, I have someone come up to me in public, anywhere I'm at, a restaurant, a hotel, a Disneyland, whatever, they come up to me. And it's not like, they might start out real nice, like, hey, I really love your podcast. I'm like, yeah. And then they start getting the, the eyes. I don't know if I'm supposed to marry this person. Can you help me hear from God right now? I need to hear from God. Do you have a word for me? And I'm like, this transactional thing will not happen. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't, some prophets may be able to meet that, but it doesn't, I can pray for them, of course, and I can have compassion and pray, and I put up good boundaries so I know when to do it. But the reality is, is that so many of us come, even in learning these gifts, because we want to meet the demands of the world instead of minister the affections of God. And God has an agenda, and when you go on a prophetic assignment, you're going to be saying no to a thousand people so you could say yes to what God has for you. And this is where the prophetic gets really confusing, is that we turn it into something that we just do all the time, and it becomes very transactional, and the people who are doing it get worn out. But when you're in intimacy with God, and it's about the calling, yes, you'll stop for the one who's in front of you, but you're on assignment for the one that God's put, you know, to dominate your focus, and this is really important for people who are pursuing this to understand that because then you'll stay in your lane. You'll stay in the place of thriving. You'll stay in the place where, you know, like I've had people, like a woman two weeks ago came up to me was with my daughters on daddy-daughter day. And she's like, this is a divine appointment. She grabs my hand. I, I, they're little kids. And she's like, I've renamed myself to Jesus and I need you to prophesy right now, prophet of God. And I looked at her and I go, I'm actually with my daughters and it's sacred. So it's not a divine appointment for me, but I bless you. And I, I think it's amazing that you want the prophetic, and if you want to contact my office, you can. Prophet of God, speak. You're not listening to God. And I said, well, you're, you're violating me right now. You're not listening to me. I don't have anything for you. She's like, you're, not, you're a false prophet. And I go, I'm glad I am to you because I don't want to be a real prophet for you because you scare me. And I grabbed my daughters, and we walked away. And my daughter's like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know. So do you understand how if we put the right boundaries up and the boundaries are love-based, you know, healthy emotional intelligence, healthy self-awareness, healthy community setting expectations together, then we're going to live in a thriving place that's not performance-driven but is actually intimacy-driven. So my leaders and the people in my life, like Pastor Chang'an or Pastor Bill, they don't come to me and demand words. They don't come to me like, I need you to get the assignment of our whole movement. They're blessed when I do. They're blessed by the mandates that I do in the, the kingdom of heaven. You know, like I get to do things that make their world bigger and their world better. And they do all kinds of stuff that makes my world way better. But there's not a demand. And so I remember Pastor Che, I had to tell him, hey, what's your expectations by calling me a prophet? And he goes, I don't know. So well, let's set him now so I can meet him. Here's what I can't do and here's what I can do. He goes, I love that. No one's ever done that with me before. Thank you so much. Here's what I really would like from you. And I was like, that's awesome. I could totally do that. And when we have healthy expectations set, then no one's failing. No one's performing. And we can manage ourselves. And the worst part of the prophetic that's not done correctly is the lack of management. We have all kinds of stuff on that you can read, especially modern prophets. But I hope this helps to 
kind of rebuild perspective or give you a new fresh perspective on it and also maybe to take off some of the the, the misdemeanors that we've created together from just wrong pursuit of what this is. And it's never wrong to ask for prayer. Again, when I say transactional prophecy, it's always okay to go up and ask someone for prayer. I don't mind when people ask me in the airport for prayer. I'll tell them if I can do it or not. not I will pray for them quickly no matter what. Even if I say I'm not going to pray for them right then, I'll still, I can't help it because I'm compassionate. But, it's, but there's this place inside of us that we have to realize that we are our own best personal prophet and he wants to speak to you. And if that's the message of the Bible, that God wants connection with you, then you better believe that sometimes he purposely resists speaking to other people because he wants to be your father and he wants to be your God. And he wants to be the, the one who gets victory in that story. You know those prophets that are scary and they tell you everything they've accomplished? I prophesied that person into office. I did that. I did that. Like in the, it's almost like name dropping, but it's like prophetic dropping. Have you heard that one? Like those, and, and like the sad thing about that is like sometimes it's God's, glory to hide you from them so that he gets all the glory because he's your father and he doesn't want you just to be another notch on someone's belt, but he wants to actually partner with you in life so he can be the source, not a prophet, not an apostle. And so I hope this helps to kind of reprogram or redesign it a little bit. We're going to take a break, then we're going to come back and be really practical. I'm going to demonstrate some stuff. I have the Bethel team here. So how long is the break? We'll be back at four o'clock. Okay, back at four o'clock. We'll see you soon.